Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of the Gorilla Social Work Podcast. Today, we get on to a discussion about triggers. So, helping our clients understand what their triggers are, you know, what situations can lead up to a triggering situation, what can lead up to a high risk situation, so they can better manage those to avoid them and manage those situations as they do happen, you know, kind of cope with the more difficult situations that could lead to a reoffense or whatever. So we get into a really good discussion about that. It goes on for a bit. Uh, before we get into that, you got to be patient. We get off onto a little nonsense about eclipses and blizzards and group discussions, but we eventually get onto the the meat of the of the discussion there. So before we get into that, episode is brought to you by Alpha Counseling and Treatment, which provides individual, group, and family therapy services across the great state of Utah. If you are interested in learning more, you can check out the website at utahsbesttherapy.com for some more information there. But otherwise, yeah, stay tuned. We're going to get into a conversation about triggers. Are we recording? We're filming live from the eclipse. Oh, <laughs> the eclipse and the Acropolis. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Sucks. so did you did you actually step outside to watch it? Yeah. So I didn't I didn't want to get because I went up to Seven Eleven because they had glasses up there like a week uh-huh. ago. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll go get some. It'd be kind of cool. And then I go in there like it's fifteen dollars. I'm like, okay, it's not that cool. <laughs> so I just like got a diet Dr Pepper and left. I come back and I had my uh, snowboarding goggles, my uh-huh. dark ones in the car. So I put on sunglasses and then put those on over it, yeah. which didn't really work because it was still bright. Like You could look at it and then look away, and you can kind of see the moon coming in there, but overall... That seems like an awful lot of work, and I just don't like... I Seriously, I challenged... I had... I had um, So seven groups yesterday, seven Holy crap. consecutive groups yesterday. Each one of them, in check-in, I, I posed the question to them like, okay, so... Somebody, somebody explain, just articulate to me a rational reason why I should care about the eclipse. And nobody was able to do it. Aside from it's rare. That's it. Like, that, that, that's the only thing that they could get through. Right? That was the only thing that made me look at it is I felt like I was compelled to. Like, well, I better look now because in 50 years it'll not be, I don't know. That's about uh, the only reason I even bothered to wear the glasses and peek up at it. Well, yeah, but there's... I mean, there's got to be other things that are rare. Like, I mean, uh, I don't know. Like, how often do pandas screw? Like, I've never seen that. I mean, yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like, there's got to be other things that are like ultra rare that, I mean, why, why, I just don't, I don't understand the fascination. Why should I give a shit about the eclipse? And, and like, even, so even like Adam going up to Idaho, like, are you kidding me? Why, oh, they were in Idaho for that? Yeah, they were because you could see, which is kind of crazy to me too. Because you go up there, and 
and apparently you could see that hundred percent of it, right? Yeah. Whereas here is like ninety three percent, which I was like, I don't know what that really means. Yeah. But it got dark for like five minutes, and then that was it. And it wasn't even it wasn't it was like dark. dark. So I would say it was dark. I, yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like I'm on the the fucking strain or something like that where the <laughs> vampires are coming out. Like I mean, you know, like see this. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking to myself, have you guys seen that movie Apocalypto? Apocalypto <laughs> that Mel yeah, Gibson, Gibson did. Yeah. yeah. No. Now, okay. Now, now that shit. Would, I would think that was significant. If I was so, if I was on a Mayan temple. Right, yeah, cutting dudes' fucking hearts out, right, and and eating them, and and cutting their heads off, and watching them plop down this, and then I'm wearing this crazy headdress with these chicks, you know, sacrificing themselves left and right, and then an eclipse happens. You better believe that that's something. That's an event. Yeah, that's an event. That's like okay, thank you, gods, for confirming that you know that what I'm doing is correct, but. Going up to Idaho and sleeping in a damn uh, field and waking up and sitting in lawn chairs and looking everybody looking up with some stupid glasses on. That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's gonna bring humanity together. Like, <laughs> well, no. I was I was thinking I was like, because I didn't even know what to expect. So I th- I thought it would get darker here than it did, but I was like, if if you went up there with all those people and it actually got pretty dark and you saw like what you see in the pictures of an eclipse looking like and it's like even if it's a few minutes, okay. Maybe if that happened and the atmosphere is kind of cool, you're up there with a ton of people, like maybe. But the <laughs> fact that it's even like what two or three hours away from here, it's still, I was like, eh, it's not really worth that. And then definitely after down here, I was like, well, that was seriously it. So, what did they have? One, it was a couple years back, a year and a half back, was the, the lunar eclipse. Like that actually was really cool. I took my camera up to Capitol Hill mm-hmm. and it was pretty awesome because the, the, the moon was up and it start, started turning like really orange and going like red. Mm-hmm. And then it was almost like it was invisible for a minute because there was no light hitting it, but you could still see it. So it was like a shadowed thing. It looked fake. That's the one. But like that I'm actually an, looked I'm an cool. Idiot here, but that's the, the lunar eclipse is the one where it's, it's sun, earth, moon, right? Yeah, the earth is yeah. blocking the light to okay. the moon, which yeah. was actually really cool. But here's it. Like I. I don't know. I'm I'm fascinated by space stuff, but I'm easily amused also. Yeah. But I, it's just kind of like how everything gets blown out of proportion. You know, remember that snowstorm that came through like three years ago, like a week leading up to it. Like, this is the blizzard of a century. You know, yeah. like like everyone's like stay indoors and like all the like. I mean, I got like 15 text messages from my mom. You know, You're like, gonna be careful. Die. Yeah, and I mean, it was it snowed. That yeah. happened. You know, but it was about as yeah. anticlimactic as. Do we have one? Of the, we had one like that that they were warning us about when on. I was going to Weber State because I remember I, I got out of class and they were they were seriously it was sunny outside and they were shutting the campus down. They're like it's gonna be a blizzard tonight. Everyone get home. So I remember I was like, <laughs> the sun is out. There's nothing even happening yet. So they're putting up all these signs and shutting it down. There's like police blocking the roads off. And so I get home and like, okay, I see the storm rolling. I'm like, that is that does look a little crazy. Seriously, it was it was insane for like 45 minutes, just crazy blowing. And all of a sudden, it just kind of died down and like snowed a little bit and stopped for the night. I'm all, where right. where do we get this from? Like, it's not even here. Why are we freaking out? <laughs> like, dude, it, it well, it was it was so because a client actually said something that was really funny. So because I was because Adam had said. Yeah, we're going up to this really small town in Idaho, and and Morgan had said something about that too. That a lot of people were going up there, and they were in this small town, and they didn't have enough gas, and they didn't have enough groceries, and all this other stuff. And so I I just made the observation like, well, what if you get caught up there? And so we were going through we were going through the um, the CBISO curriculum, and we were doing identifying risk factors. Have you guys done that yet? 
No. Yeah. So there's like 96 risk factors that they identify. Yeah, I right? just did that one. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, <laughs> so I was like, funny. well, and then we started talking about this, and we're like, well, I guess if everybody gets caught up there, well, then they kind of have to come together, right? And then, and then, <laughs> one of the guys like, yeah, but if they're caught up there for more than like two days, they're going to be doing all this shit that's listed right here. I was like, I was like, yeah, the eclipse just causes a big sex pile, like <laughs> just a pile of bodies. <laughs> I was like, geez, dude, just writhing in a field, dude. Some of the, my favorite part of that one is when you you teach everybody how to work. Th- Have you gotten to it yet, Jeff? No. When you teach everybody how to do it, it's, it's a little confusing it's to next explain. For me, I think. But it's kind of fun when you get everybody like, here's how you do one, here's how you do two, here's how this works. Okay, go ahead, start working on it. Just the random questions you get are my favorite. Because then some of them point out kind of like some of the... We'll explain like, to whoever grammatical. is listening to this. So what this is is where we, we're helping people in our groups identify risky situations they might not be aware of. So the whole idea of this thing is it's throwing out like almost 100, so 96 like hypothetical scenarios. Like my significant other yells at me or a friend invites me to a party. So we're helping people understand in those situations... How risky is it for you in terms of just violating? Like, would you break a rule legally? And then how risky is it for you in terms of, like, a sexual, like, re-offense or something like that or having a new offense? So for me, I could say if a friend invites me to a party, I have a stipulation that I can't drink and I'd be really tempted to drink. So for me, that would be that happens pretty often. And then also if I'm in that situation, it's very high risk because I might drink. But for me, I know it wouldn't be, like, a sexual risk. I wouldn't do anything that way. So it's very low risk sexually. I see. So it helps them judge, yeah, all these situations, but some of them just kind of sound funny. Like the one that I posted, it just said, what was it? I couldn't masturbate today. So it's like, does that mean like I wanted to and I didn't have time or like I physically tried and it didn't work? Like unable? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like was unable. the plumbing wasn't working. You know, yeah. so there was one that was a guy read and I was like, I didn't even, I've read it a million times. And I was just like, I didn't even think of that not making sense. He just started laughing. He's like, this, this grammatically doesn't make sense. It says... The police questioned me about a sexual offense that took place in your neighborhood. He's like, are they telling me, or is it your neighborhood, or is it my neighborhood? And I was like, that is kind of funny. Yeah. The police questioned me about a sex offense that took place in your neighborhood. Like, So, so wait, am, am I a person of suspicion? Yeah. I was like, that doesn't make sense, but you get what they're saying. Just fill it out. Yeah, some of those crack me up, the questions you get. Because I'm like, oh, I never thought of reading it that way. But It's actually a pretty cool assignment, so it's... Yes, yeah, sir. that's a that's a I, 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 that one's that that's shaping up to be pretty good. I just end of module two, going into module three, get into. So do you do you score those on your own and then give it back to them, or how did you do that? I didn't. I didn't. Um, so I um, I didn't do the scoring actually. I just skipped all that. What I did was I had just had them go through that, mm-hmm. and um, then they rated themselves on on all those things, and then I just put it on them, and I said, okay, so you personally identify what are the top five um, oh. high-risk situations that you identified that are most relevant for you. Yeah, because then they kind of had to do that with the homework. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah. Well, that was, the, that was the homework. The other, the scoring stuff, that was just like, yeah, kind of. I had a client that was really upset that you did not score his. He's like, Mace does not care about my, what I'm doing. I spent all this time and effort filling this out, and he didn't even check on it. Well... Well, you just just we had to we you're disappointing our clients, bro. We had to we we definitely had to rush through that uh, through that lesson, real real fast because uh, because uh, one of your clients came in and told a really cool story. Oh right, yeah, yeah, right out of of the gate, I underestimated how long that would actually take, so I let my group go a little long, and then we started doing that. I was like, oh yeah, we needed more time to do this. Yeah, that's that's CB. 
CBISOLOL stuff is. <laughs> yeah, we need it. Well, it always it like they wrote it really well, actually. Like you can tell. I don't I like know if it. you guys have noticed this. This is like not scientific at all. But I feel like since we've been doing that, I've been getting more instances of people like disclosing stuff in their per like in their individual sessions, like being honest about stuff. Like I'm getting way more of that. People like coming in and talking about like potential violations or stuff they're struggling with. So I don't know if it's just helping. I think. Uh, there I, well, I think. I think. So I think my I'm I'm. What I've noticed is, um, I think uh, clients will resist it at first of c- going into a topic discussion, mm-hmm. um, but I think that they thrive therapeutically way better on it. Hundred percent. I think you. I think if you. Because honestly, if you think about it, if I if I run a, I, I I think I'm relatively good enough. I mean, I'm not I'm not. I think like Jeff's better at uh, kind of process groups. You know, if they just hey, what are your issues this week? I've I've observed Jeff and said in his groups, I feel like he's better than me in doing that, and I'm fine with saying that. Um, you know, I think about Hanley. Hanley's the master of doing that. But you know, one thing I've observed about about you, the two of you has been you nevertheless pull onto a theme. So somebody comes up with a somebody comes up with a personal issue, and the magic happens when you're able to take that that personal issue, generalize it, and put it back on the other group members for them to give feedback to this general issue and not to the client. But all the while, the client's getting the feedback, and then you validate you reflect you know you affirm and then you come back to the client and say okay well what are we going to do with this uh and you know then again for the rest of the group okay well you know what the rest of you guys learned so essentially all we've done is like with triple s and with cbiso is we've just we've kind of i mean you can say you've manualized that which yeah if you're going to be robotic about it it's going to suck right so you have to add some of your personality into mm-hmm. those things, and then once you get going, I think everybody really likes it. Like, yeah. I mean, you should have saw this uh, this last group on Tuesday. I pulled that out. Was, blah, blah, you would what have thought was the topic? I. Oh well, no, no, no. On Tuesday, oh no, Thursday. I apologize. Um, the uh, the group. It was it was. I introduced the CBISO program to that group on Thursday. Oh right. Yeah, and then they, and then they really liked. It. And I, I, well, now it's just more organized, and it and we yeah. kind of go through some of those things. So yeah. Yeah. By the way, we're talking about a cognitive behavioral curriculum we've been implementing what, what is, is cognitive behavioral intervention, intervention for sex offenders sex offenders yeah. mm-hmm. from cincinnati well what's funny is when i started doing this like your style mace of like getting up and having a topic and more presenting mm-hmm. to me that was like there's no way in hell i can do that and i felt like so uncomfortable with it mm-hmm. so I, I would generally would go more like the process <clears throat> route and feel a little more comfortable with that and when we first started doing this, like, I even felt like cheesy because I'm like, oh, they know, I'm like, okay, I'm reading off something, and I feel awkward because I don't know for sure. But yeah, once a conversation like does get started, though, then I actually feel really good about it. Like I'm like, man, this flows really well. Like they get really engaged with it, and it's it's awkward for about fun. the first thirty seconds of reading the script, and then everything is off to the races. Well, I think it's, it's mostly in my head too. Like I think like Ugh, I'm unprepared. I don't even know what it's going to say. Like I don't think they care or like no. Like usually, just it gets going, and like they're ultra right. In, like interactive with it. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't yet had really noticed a difference in people reporting violations. But just today, I, I've got this guy in one of the groups I run. He's a bit of a wild card, just like always off the hook into everything. Super impulsive, doesn't do much thinking, and you know, at least not much thinking before he acts. I should say, and. The, the week prior, I'd done the behavior chain. So if you're listening, that's the idea that 
you know, a situation occurs and we have a thought about that situation, our thought about that situation leads us to having a feeling, our feeling leads us to act, and then our actions have both positive and negative consequences. So I just, I, I just ran down the curriculum on that stuff to him. And the next week he came back and he had like three of these sheets filled out. This is not a dude that's usually prepared. Yeah, and he's like, this stuff works. It's awesome. He says, I'm getting over a breakup right now. It sucks. You know, and, but he, uh, he said that just the idea of actually writing his thoughts down so he could see how crazy his thoughts were helped him like pause for a second, relax, chill out, yeah. and kind of get going. You know, so he was able to like basically identify his triggers, you know, triggers being things that set off a, a mood or uh, make you inclined to do a specific thing. It's actually yeah. what we're supposed to be talking about today. You know, you know what was cool about that was uh was um uh I would do, have you listened to Rogan lately? Yeah. Did you listen to the one with Ben Shapiro? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hey, ben Shapiro was was pimping cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, he there. was. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. I was like, hey, all right. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Uh, kind of like Jeff was talking about uh, today. This is kind of a this is kind of an interesting topic when it comes to cognitive behavioral therapy. We're talking about um, a concept called triggers. Um, so, and we're not talking. I mean, so when we talk about triggers, where this is a, that's a really common phrase that's used in. Um, it was actually borrowed from substance use treatment. And um, adopted by social justice warriors. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they've uh, so they've put this into um, so they put this into sex offender specific treatment, and basically um, because there's a lot of parallels. But one of the things we'll kind of point out on this today is is some of the shortcomings when you try to adapt, adapt that model. So, the basic thing of this is we we want. Uh, I mean, if we're teaching this to clients, it's basically to help them acknowledge and understand their own triggers. Um, help them understand the various types of triggers, but then also understand the role that triggers play in relapse. And we'll, and part of the, today, I want to talk a little bit about relapse uh, prevention, which is the type of treatment that um, we that old school kind of sex offender therapy adopted. And um, and uh, part two of of well, not part two, or the next podcast we're actually going to talk about kind of a um, uh, an extension of that and how we kind of have to live it put into this. So. <clears throat> So, um, yeah, so I don't know, just launch into this. Yeah, exactly. You got to, you know, so, uh, so the understanding triggers process. So one of the things that we want to do is in this, in this type of topic, when we're talking about this is just educate, educate clients on the nouns of relapse. So a trigger is basically a, a, a person, a place, a thing that causes you to feel a stronger emotion and, or an urge. Um, so one of the things we have to see is like, okay, well, how do these triggers develop, right? Like one of the, so when you guys think about this, this is kind of a fascinating part about this because it starts to bring in a lot of brain chemistry. And we, and we talk a little bit more about this when it comes to um, the, the harmful effects of pornography. But um, yeah, this is, so like drug, drug treatment a long time ago, they kind of d- started doing all these studies and people are always like, you know, on mice and all these things to kind of determine the effects of drugs overall, right? And um, and people always ask, you know, I don't know if any of you know why those studies are relevant to humans, right? Do you, I mean, the limbic system in a mouse is very similar to that of a human. Okay, I didn't mean, know that, but yeah. I'm on board. Right, right. so yeah, I mean, sure. so yeah, mice are stupid, you know, of course, but in, but their, their limbic system, which is the key area that has, you know, the addictive qualities to it, the triggering qualities, so to speak, 
that's very very similar similar enough to humans that we can make definitive basic you know. biological urges we're all subject to whether it's human or mouse basically. Yeah, yeah 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 right so back in the um one of the one of the pioneering studies on this was back in like the 1970s and um one of the things that they did in this was they so they were giving mice cocaine, right? They got them basically to the point of addiction in cocaine. And so if you, um, and this was kind of a, I think the study was actually called, and I probably am wrong, but it was like the, uh, the light dark, the light dark experiment for mice or something like that. So a mouse's natural inclination is to, it, it, to get gather food is to go into the dark, right? Because light says what? What does it say? Danger. About? Right. If I go into the light as a as a prey, I'm naturally exposing myself to what would be danger and whatnot, right? So uh, so even if I put food in front of a mouse who was really hungry and starving or whatever, and it was in the light, they would not go into the light to get it. Their natural instincts would kick in, and they would not go in. They were too terrified of doing something like that, right? Okay, fine. But if they if they um, they were giving them just these you know water vials that were laced with with um, you know cocaine to the point of addiction, and then the, then they put those in the light, and the mice would naturally override their own instinctual their own instinctual urges to go and get the, wow. the water, mm-hmm. right, laced with cocaine, which is, that's a, that's a right there, that's a, showing that you've now overrode your, your natural instincts because of a trigger, something that's triggered you. This is something I'm seeing, and I'm triggered now, I'm going into this, which is part of the limbic system. So if you think about this, this is kind of weird when it comes to sexual disorders, because, I mean, if you think about the primary functions of human beings, so if you go way back in the caveman days, right, what were our primary? We I mean, we were thinking about basically finding for, food, finding water, shelter, reproduction. Yeah, fornicating, right? Yeah. So, so this is kind of the thing. All those were survival instincts way back in the day. So I had to eat, right? You can't, you can't like if we try to say, okay, you know, you 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 don't uh, you don't need to eat. You can think your way out of of eating, right? Eventually, our hunger is going to win that that you know over. Unless we don't have food, I mean, we're going to get so hungry, the urge is going to be so there that we're going to crave it. And we're going to eat water, same or so eat food. Same thing with water. We're going to get so thirsty after a while, right? We're going to drink water. We can't think that away. Same thing with air. I mean, how long can you hold your breath underwater? A minute. Right. <laughs> You're going to come back up. So sometimes this is when I try to tell other other people. I'm like, okay, well, you want to know what you know a trigger feels like or a craving feels like. Go underwater and try to hold your breath and then convince yourself not to come back up. Just give that a shot and tell me if you can do that. <laughs> I'm stealing that. That's good. That's a Mace original. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell people, try to do that, right? Try to do that. Now, this is, the, this is the crazy thing about it, though. So back in the caveman days, right, back when we were first kind of doing this, we needed sex, right? That was, that, was a, that was a primary function of our survival. We were just like any other beast on the planet. We needed sex to survive. And so although that's now a survival instinct, it's one of those that need an asterisk on it right now. Because, it's no longer right. survival Because we, I mean... It well, feels like it, though. Well, realistically, that isn't even, in, like, in terms of like, us evolving, that really isn't even that long ago, mm-hmm. really, either. Yeah, yeah if we're looking at like 200,000 years that, yeah. or whatever, however long people have been around in this present form, and then... I don't know. I guess it's probably been like agriculture, industrial revolution, those types of cool things that technology has provided that that has, has made sex non-essential. But it sure still feels like it. Well, yeah. So you oh, it is. well, yeah. <laughs> so you you can't. 
So part of that is is you you're fighting evolution in a lot of ways, right? But I mean, you can't you can't also just make that as a, that's a lazy argument to say that because again, we don't even need to have sex right. in order to survive, and we're like one of I think what, what like six animals that actually gets pleasure of having sex too, yeah, right? Like Which kind of makes us <laughs> bonobos. And- Dolphins, bro. Dolphins, yeah. Yeah, They're smarter than humans. Chickens. (laughs) God, chickens. (laughs) So so anyway, so the reason I bring this up is because this is the thing. So you're you're now, this is a a natural evolutionary biological urge that we had, but it's no longer necessary. I mean, you take, you know, 100 dudes um, and put them all onto an island and say, hey, don't have sex for 50 years. Well, 50 years, you're going to have 100 dudes still alive. You don't need sex to survive anymore, right? But it nevertheless manipulates brain chemistry. So if you think about, you know, any time that I choose to, you know, masturbate and think of a, think of a, um, whatever it is, or have a sexual encounter and whatever is going on at that time, right? I'm naturally, I'm, I'm manipulating brain chemistry to release it in a certain way that makes me feel really good. And no matter what drug you ever do, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the, the nothing feels quite like having an orgasm, right? Okay. And what's crazy about this is, is so if, I mean, and you kind of think about your brain like a computer, and I always say that your brain's kind of like the computer, the drugs are more of the, of the software going in and telling your, telling your computer to release the chemicals at a certain rate, right? Well, just like any old computer, like Justin's HP here, right? Mm. If you put too much software on that thing, what happens to it? Handles it really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It slows down I eventually, can't right? All of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. So that's what happens with drugs. But here's the crazy thing about here's the crazy thing about um, you know, sex and masturbation and all that other stuff. I I need to do nothing. I need to put nothing into my body, and I still can manipulate brain chemistry. And so at that point, I'm, I'm manipulating brain chemistry and, and rewiring these triggers. So just like those mice, things that seem totally innocuous and totally benign to us, if they're linked with our sexual behaviors in the past, and we see them, we smell them, we hear them, we're around them or whatever, it triggers these thoughts into going into these. And it, and it doesn't just, it's not limited to only the sexual stuff. Obviously, this is for the drug stuff, but this is what we try to teach the clients and help them understand that. The crazy thing is you're not going to have much insight into it. You know, they're not going to have, this is why behavior chains are so damn important because clients don't realize this until it's already too late half the time. Huh. Yeah. So I guess being, being wired like the, the mouse that is now addicted to cocaine and is all primed up and ready to go out into the light to get that, super water you know i guess that's kind of what you're saying about you know so like our, if you're if you're not really familiar with the correctional system our clients uh, are not allowed to look at pornography or for that matter anything that's sexually stimulating and if they choose to do so they risk going back to jail and yet our clients again and again constantly almost compulsively We'll, uh, we'll still look at pornography despite the consequences. And so that sounds like a cocaine-addicted rap to me. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and in, the, and in the, the content that we teach the clients, so when I'm presenting this to a client, one of the things that I'm going to say, you know, we kind of tell them for purpose of the discussion even here, we say, you know, we're defining relapse as really any high-risk behavior that could lead to harming yourself, others, or violating the conditions of probation or parole. 
So a lot of people, what happens in that is they don't even want to talk about, you know, relapse or anything they're related to that because they're scared it might actually cause them to act out. So if I'm talking about fantasies, if I'm talking about this, that, or the other, I'm talking about sex, then, you know, I don't want to think about those things. Well, here's the problem with that is there's no, there's no good way to do cocaine, is there? <laughs> There's no I, not that I'm aware. Right, there's no good way to do meth, <laughs> right? So this is this is the this is a stark uh, difference between relapse prevention. Relapse prevention when it comes to the drug world always applies because drugs are always bad. Anybody graduated a dare program knows that, right? It's not like you become a better person for, you know, smoking weed all the time, you know? I'm not saying you, you you're going to croak over it the first time you do it. What I'm saying is it doesn't add any health to you. There's no benefit to it, right? But there's always a good way to have sex. So strict relapse prevention doesn't apply. And so if we don't talk about these things with these guys, we can't help them work through those triggers to help them learn how to have healthy sex. So the idea there is is that just abandoning any discussion about sex with somebody who is you know, having sexual behavior problems up to the point where they've committed a sexual offense, it, you're not going to get much mileage out of that because if it's all wrong all the time, then what's right? If I don't teach these guys, if I'm talking about the wrong thing all the time. You're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. Well, what's the right thing to do? And when it comes down to that, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And so part of it is understanding, okay, what's the difference between triggers? What's the difference between normal, healthy sexual fantasies and reactions? And getting to the bottom of that. If clients don't understand that, we're setting them up for failure. A lot of them don't have awareness of what their triggers even are. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so d- discussing it Besides maybe violating the taboo of well, if I don't, if I if I talk about this, then I might do it. I mean, besides shooting down that myth, I think a lot of times talking about it builds awareness. You might be, you might have the like the conscious awareness that you know you're you're maybe triggered by you know seeing a scantily clad woman or whatever it is. Might not realize that when you're maybe watching a rap video on YouTube, see some girl twerking. It's just part of the music, but that in and of itself might lead you to be kind of slightly triggered sexually, then maybe look up something along the lines of like Maxim or whatever it is, and then pretty quick hop, skip, and a jump over to pornography. Some of that's actually what we'll be going into next time, so I don't want to go too much into that. But I guess I guess my, my point is, is that triggers a lot of times aren't recognized by clients. I don't know if you've had that to where... Well, well simplify it, though. Think about this. Like, I don't know, have either of you done a diet before yep right i mean what's the what's one of your first orders of business if you're going to diet like for the food that's in your house what do you do clear it out or binge on it before you start the diet well right because if i see (laughs) so if i'm trying to diet right and i see something and i see you know whatever my my uh uh, vices that's sitting in my pantry or my or my freezer or my fridge you know it it's not a guarantee that that's going to happen, right? Damn near. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Pretty close. It, yeah, Ben and Jerry's. If that's in my freezer, it's gone. Yeah, <laughs> like for sure. Yeah. So, so again, limiting your exposure to this, we always try to say, okay, well, unless we can recognize what your triggers are, how are you going to avoid them? The first order of business is to avoid them, right? Mm. Because I mean, coping is tough, especially in early stages of treatment. I mean, you're you're relying on willpower alone, but you can't rely on willpower all the time. That no. doesn't make any sense. Eventually, they're going to run out. Right. So, so eliminate. So if you simplify it for a client, I think you have to kind of start small because they're gonna. Yeah, they're not going to identify that. I think you're right. They they kind of 
they're like, what, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Triggers, right. you know, whatever. Especially when it comes to sexual any. stuff. Right. I don't have any. This was just a one-time thing. Well, that's the, well I think that's the difficult thing when we talk about triggers. Usually in the, in the scope of a group or individuals, most clients will think of a trigger as like, specifically, there's a prostitute sitting on my lap begging me and trying to take my money away right now. Okay, that's a trigger. It's like, no, maybe the trigger was I've been, le- I've been working a lot of hours lately and I'm starting to feel kind of stressed out. So for me, I know when stress gets to a certain point, that's a trigger that I might seek out, like you know, high risk sexual situations like that. Like that's that's more of like the high risk situation that you're in now. Like mm-hmm. now, it's almost to the point of you're probably not going to make a good choice. But your triggers are kind of like I, I heard a client in group say it really well once. He was like we were talking about. I think I mentioned this on another podcast, but it was there's red flags. But he was saying, for me, my triggers are like my yellow flags. Oh, yeah. Like, I have to kind of know when to slow down before there's a stop. Like, to me, the red flag <laughs> is now I'm in a high-risk situation and I'm triggered. I'm probably going to make a bad choice. But what are the, the yellow flags that lead me to even get into that situation? Mm-hmm. That's a better way of explaining what I've been forever calling not porn. Yeah. Yellow flags. Sure. Yep. Well, and... and- well, you see, and that's the whole thing. So understanding how to deal with triggers, like if I'm, because I can kind of justify these things away as normal life, right? So, so again, uh, um, one of the descriptions that you give in this assignment, Jeff, is that, so let's say, let's say a person's reached the point of, of viewing child pornography, right? Um, so I don't know about you guys, but I've never had somebody that just started viewing child no. pornography, right? No. That was never the case. So. So there was always a um, there was always a, a an evolution of their viewing over time. So originally they um, originally they started viewing like regular pornography, right? And then they had whatever the the I don't know if it was they just had a, a compulsive personality they needed more and it kind of built and built. And so I mean you know if I go on like any website reputable porn website that you know they're not gonna have they're well well the interesting thing about those places is they hate child pornography because if they had it on their site they'd be taken down immediately right so they never let those things on there so they so but but eventually eventually and 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 you look at the 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 terms that are searched on that you know teen is one of the the highest search term by far and away on any of those sites Mm -hmm. but that just is is an indicator of how people who are uh, you know otherwise addicted to pornography which direction they're going. Well, eventually, they kind of have a rational conversation with themselves, you know, after they've been binge-watching for 12 or 13 hours a day and masturbating nine times a day or whatever, saying, okay, well, yeah, this is great because that looks like a teen, but that's actually an adult. And I'm just not really able to get, you know, get this off anymore as much as I'd like to, and I need to go on to racier and riskier stuff. So most of the guys I work with say, Initially, they're not even attracted to the children. They're attracted to the sensationalism and the risk that's associated with those images. All the time, right? I hear that. And then, again, because I'm reinforcing whatever I'm looking at with masturbation and manipulating brain chemistry, in comes the mice, and I go against my natural instincts of what I'm actually attracted to, and now I develop new pathways to attraction based on what I'm viewing in front of me. Okay, and I've developed that, and whether or not that's ever going to go away, you know, start starts to be debatable. So if I look at that and say, all right, well, what are my triggers? Well, for a person that's that invested in it, simply even getting on the internet. The internet's a trigger. Yeah. Yeah. A a benign and innocuous and very helpful activity of getting on the internet is now turned into a danger. And if I can't recognize that as a trigger, then I'm all the worse for it. And so the easy thing, we kind of help them say, well, how do you deal with this? 
Well, identify those triggers first of all. Be willing to open up and have a conversation about those. And then realize that changing all this stuff is not simple as, well, I'm going to stop reoffending. You know what I mean? I think when clients tell me that, I don't think they're lying to me. I think they're genuine about that. But I don't think what that actually means and what that entails. And then what that entails is a complete uh, change in all of their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It can, it can no, you have to, if we're going to say, if, if we're going to feign responsibility and say that the entire constellation of events that led you to your offense are important, well, then we have to change that entire constellation, right? We have to change all the events and change your life around to the degree it is no, no longer compatible with sexual offending. But that is initially a recognition of those triggers and eliminating those triggers from my life. Well, I think a big part of it is, is like you're talking about, is simplifying it. Like I've, I've used the term in, in group zooming out on the problem. So let's, let's say pornography for me is the problem. I'm looking at zoomed in. I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a problem because I keep going back to it. I keep being in situations where it's easy to look it up. So it's kind of saying, okay, a trigger for you, maybe we're not looking specifically at yeah, if you're laying in bed with your smartphone or there's internet access, okay, that in itself is a high risk, more of like a high risk situation. So you're now in the situation where you're having to make this, you know, choice of I want to control my behavior when it's now almost impossible to do so, recognizing that. So if I zoom out, what was going on around, maybe I shouldn't have the phone. If I zoom out more, maybe it's because I'm feeling bored. Like, so if I'm bored and I feel like I need the phone and it's the end of the night where it's easier to do it, yeah, you're going to look it up. So it's kind of, it's well, yeah. I need to plan ahead and and look more what's going on around the problem than specifically just, well, when I lay in bed from now on, I just won't look that stuff up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, do you, I mean, it's kind of like uh, that Anthony Weiner guy who was... <laughs> I look at, what a, the wor- shittiest name on the planet to have Man, that problem. Like you can't make that up. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. But like, but, like, even, I mean, a lot of people, you know, I'm kind of in a lot of ways glad that that happened, even though they didn't take it to where... I mean, they're calling him a pedophile and stuff like that, but... But what I'm, I, I mean that that's such just a, a simplification of the issue. Like he's a pedophile. Yeah. Well, okay, like you have to you have to think about that guy. Man was at one point or another a pretty famous, you know, uh, member of our of our you know political realm, and and he, and he had a lot going for him, and you know his wife was you know next to Hillary. Clinton. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. He there. was like, a rising star, right? So yeah. again, you can't say you can't simply say you can't simply say. Oh well, if you have the right lifestyle set up, then none of these things are going to happen. No, the recognition for that would be okay. Look at all those things. So, if if once my limbic system is put into action by a trigger or whatnot, right, then I, it'll override everything else. Think about that. This is why this is why they say don't don't try to. What do they say about trying to save somebody who's drowning? Like don't. Don't do it without, or don't try to do it just by yourself. Yeah, they'll sink you. Don't right? do it. Yeah, man. like just don't yeah. do it. Let them drown. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> let them drown. That's the advice. No, but like you know, don't because because people will naturally try to like save themselves, and and rational and, and rationality is gone. Your cortex is not functioning. Your limbic yeah. system for survival is is in full force, and even though that's no longer a survival mechanism, it's nevertheless in place. So things that rationally Anthony Weiner shouldn't have been doing. He clearly did because his limbic system was overriding this. And if he wasn't able to say, okay, these are my triggers. These are things that I need. I sh- the dude should have had a damn smartphone or a Twitter account or fucking anything for that matter, right? He should have eliminated all those things if he really wanted to get this under yeah. control. And then slowly he could make the decisions later on after he's had some time off whether and, why he, whether and how he would integrate those back into his life. But, I mean. He didn't zoom out. Yeah, yeah, there it is, yeah. right there. Well, and that's and that's I think is the tough balance with, and that's it's kind of the conversation I have with clients initially when they have, 
the complaint or the argument, which I agree with. It's just saying like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just be a hermit? I'm supposed to be totally closed off? That's not healthy either. I'm like, no, I agree with you. But there has to be, especially if something is a problem for you, there has to be some sort of period, though, where you do abstain from it. You do get away from it. Because if, if you had a, an issue with pornography and then now you're just saying, come on, you know, guns blazing, day one of treatment, I'm just going to watch pornography all the time. It's like, are you really going to get any distance from it or even learn about it? Because especially when you're entrenched in it, you're not going to, like, the zoom out thing, I don't think you're able to zoom out at all when you're caught up in the middle of it. Like, if you're just doing it all the time still, you're just more, you're zooming in, if anything. So it's kind of eliminating your ability to even see it, kind of like you can't see the forest through the trees kind of thing. Need some type of period of abstinence from the triggers to be able to come back around and deal with them. Right, which is why a lot of clients said, you know, going to prison saved my life yeah. because I was able to get away from all those things. But again, this into this. yeah, why did you have to? Why did you have to go to prison in order to pull that off? Right, yeah. you could have just, in, if you were dedicated to yourself and you're dedicated to working this through, then you would have been able to kind of pull through. So, for any of our probationing clients that have not yet gone to prison or got, committed an offense, or anybody who's dealing with this now, I think you look at that and say, okay a stark recognition of my triggers and, and therapists too, like saying, this is a discussion we need to have with our clients. We're going to talk about this. We're not going to shy away from it and only talk about the good things. This is what's really going to help them in the long run. And it, I mean, you think about it. I mean, what's 18 months compared to the rest of your life? You know, I'm going to take 18 months away from the internet. You'll survive. Trust me. I mean, you will. It'll suck. Of course it will, but you're going to survive. If you need to get away from it that long, you need to get away from whatever it is the internet, whatever, I mean, you're going to be okay. So, so again, um, this is, uh, for, for those of you guys going over triggers, um, hopefully that's been, um, helpful understanding of this insight to this topic, but, um, now you guys have anything else to say on this? Cocaine rats and zoom out. That's what I've learned. <laughs> zoom out. Yeah. Cocaine, Cocaine rats. rats. <laughs> Gorilla social work. Do we have to say that each time? I, I think, think so. Yeah. Well, I hear you. All right. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. All right, everyone. That does it for episode three, the Gorilla Social Work Podcast discussion on triggers. Hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions, like I said, check us out on the social media websites. If you go to Facebook, Twitter, all that jazz, if you want to have some comments or if you have any questions, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, Gorilla Social Work. Uh, tune in for the next episode on episode four. We're going to be getting into discussion about honesty and treatment, how to help clients be honest, how to help them build trust in their relationships so they can feel like they can be more honest in their therapy. And we will see you in the next episode.